We're going to continue in the book of Exodus, as Pastor was just mentioning, basically the gospel in the book of Exodus. Now, I know that as we've been walking through, he has given me the high task, dare I say, of both Exodus 5 and 6. I said, can you give me any more? Because that's a lot. He goes, well, you don't have to hit every point. I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So in that uh, genre, I'm going to pick out some very important, I believe, highlights for us to consider and see as the Lord speaks to us. And as the Lord does speak to us, I have to go back into context. We've already been through, of course, one through four. And as the Lord was revealing in Exodus four, he was providing numerous signs to Moses to seek to embolden Moses, to encourage and confirm him that the Lord is the great I am, the one true God, the only God, and that his power is real and that his plan will work. Moses, either unfortunately or honestly, responds with a lot of questions. Statements of unbelief, perhaps, and unwillingness and resistance. Haven't we? Well, I know I have. And doubting statements such as, they're just not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. Because I happen to say that the Lord said this and that the Lord has appeared to me. They're not going to believe what I say. And yet, one chapter further, back in Exodus 3, Moses had this amazing burning bush experience. How many times have each of us prayed that we would have some sort of revelatory burning bush incident that way we know that was God and we hear him clearly and yet Moses has this experience and he still has questions I think Moses is a lot like us and we're a lot like Moses aren't we in many ways and so even beyond that it demonstrates even further in chapter 4 the further powers of God as he miraculously as pastor spoke just recently turned staff to serpent and back in demonstration and then has Moses' hand go from healthy to leprosy and back and then Moses even makes a further statement demonstrating his questions in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10 then Moses said to the Lord I'm not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant but I am slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue how many of us have done this type of thing. We've self-negated ourselves from something that God called us to. Well, God wouldn't use somebody like me. He would never want to use me for this purpose or this design. Am I the only one or is there a couple? Okay, just a few of us, good. What's interesting is here is Moses saying all these self-deselecting things and yet, as he says that he can't speak real good and he's slow of talking, in Acts 7.22, I love it when Scripture defends and protects other Scripture because it's all connected. In Acts 7.22, we have Luke sharing this. And Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. Busted. The Bible confirmed Moses can talk despite the fact that he's trying to make it where he can't. Down south, we would say that, Mo- uh, that Moses is doing a good job of crawfishing. He is trying to tuck tail and slide out as fast and as quickly as he can so that he does not have to take this amazing undertaking that's before him. And I think we've all done that too once or twice. And at this point in the journey, dare I say, at this moment when God has revealed himself, because this is only really a few moments ago from the burning bush, 
that God is beginning this amazing work in Moses to begin to transform him and place within him a vision that God has already set and is already in process of completing for the Israelites as well. And in that moment and in his perspective, Moses is trapped in looking at the past. He's remembering what was in his life because in this moment, he has yet to see what God can do besides the miracles that he's already done was ahead for him. When God has spoken to you and spoken to us and transformed us, is in the process of transforming us, sometimes it is easy for us to fall into old habits and old beliefs, is it not? It's easy to fall back on what we think we know and what we believe. So in Exodus 5, 1 carrying on, afterward Moses and Aaron went in to and told Pharaoh. Now, let's pause for a second. This is, at that time, most likely the world's most powerful man. Everywhere this man looks is his domain. It's his land. It's his kingdom. And God has spoken to Moses, and he was able to draw Aaron in, too, because Moses asked for help, because he didn't think he could do it on his own. And so those two go before the most powerful man in the world with a, not a request, with a demand. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh responded, who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I don't know this Lord. I'm not going to let Israel go. So they, Moses and Aaron, continued saying, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please. Let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, verse 4, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest in their labor. I'm going to go to verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people. Thus said, says Pharaoh, do not give them straw. Do more with less. Anybody heard that before? Go, get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of the work will be reduced. You have to do the same amount with less things. So the people scattered abroad throughout the whole land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So they're making do with much less. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry. Not only do it more with less, do it faster. Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick before yesterday and today as before? No doubt it took Moses and Aaron a little bit of courage to go before Pharaoh with this demand. In that culture, Pharaoh himself was considered to be a god, lowercase g. And he knew of the Egyptian pantheon, all god, lowercase g's. And he reveals that he had no concept of who the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, was. And Moses, growing up in Pharaoh's court, knew exactly that Moses was a man, and yet he was a very powerful one. I want to make it clear in this moment, again, that Moses and Aaron were not requesting. They were passing on the command of the living God. And yet at this moment, when God's people are being held as slaves telling them that they're going to be free and free indeed how many of us know that when God shows up sometimes things don't get easier instantly 
In fact, sometimes it gets much harder. First point, the Lord can and will use adversity to train us in trusting him more. That's not an easy statement. The Lord is all-powerful. The Lord is all-knowing, ever-present, present everywhere, fiercely loving and greatly protective of those who love him. In this history of events that we're going through in chapter 5, we begin to see the question of what is known as theodicy. How can a loving, almighty, and all-knowing God permit evil to exist and occur? Is that not a question of this day? I'm going to ask three questions that I want you to answer along with me. Could the Lord have swept in and freed all of Israel from Egypt without any struggle? Absolutely. Not a question. No doubt. Next question. Can the Lord sweep in and do the exact same for what is occurring in Israel right now with Hamas? Not a question. Again, without a doubt. Can the Lord our God sweep up the challenges and struggles of adversity that you and I may be facing in our life right now? A little less confidence there? Did you hear the difference of the volume? He can. Are there times that he has? Yes. Are there times when we have to endure and sit in our adversity for a little bit? Yeah, there is. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. I'll stop. Y'all know this verse, right? This is one of those verses that I absolutely love, and it frustrates me. I'm going to keep reading it so you get there with me. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You notice it didn't say if. It said when. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces that word, right? Patience. How many times do we pray for that one? And let patience have its perfect or mature work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. For if any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him then ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All those really cool, tough things all start with consider a joy when. If you're going through something right now, the Lord is telling us, consider it joy. How does that taste, right? That's tough. The Lord not only wants us to seek him out, but asks us to seek him out, and that we would, here's the word, trust him when he answers us. When even his way might not be the path, nor the manner, or the how in which we wanted him to answer us. How many of us have scars? We all do. Some are visible and some are not. That we've all received through many adversities in our life. The Lord has used difficult times often to mold our faith that we would come to be made strong and stronger in trust to him and in this life. Though for a time those injuries may have hurt, they deepen us, they mature us, and they can turn us all the more so into the very image of Christ. For remember, we all know someone who has more scars than we can ever imagine. And every one of those scars that was evilly and difficultly placed upon him have not only become whole and healed, but they've also become holy for our purposes. For what does our scripture say? For healing comes out of it, for by his stripes we are healed. 
So those wounds and those scars had purpose for us. Do you not know that your scars and your wounds have the same? That some of the very difficult things that you're walking through, though it is sometimes very hard for us to grasp the fact that the difficult things that we're dealing with have been sifted through the hands of our Lord and he has allowed them for his holy purposes. That doesn't click sometimes because we're in a lot of pain or a lot of struggle and a lot of doubt. Let's be real. And yet, if it has been allowed, there is somehow, some way, some manner, purpose that God can utilize for our betterment, for our blessing, and the blessing of others. Remember, it's not just about us. God wishes to use our experiences for us and for others, too. That is not easy, but it's very real. Very, very real. You see, every problem has benefits. We have the opportunity to learn through our adversities to begin to see them through the eyes of faith and to trust him all the more. Second point, the Lord has promised and we must remember and not be discouraged by difficult or unexpected circumstances. Exodus 5, 22 to 23. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why'd you do it? Why did you send me? For since I came to talk to Sparrow in your name, he's done evil things. Say, it's your fault. You did this, God. And neither have you delivered your people yet. So here's Moses taking God to task. Anybody else had a chance to do that once or twice with God? Is your relationship authentic enough where you can actually say what you need to say? Where you can actually be honest and holy before God because you're being truthful? Because that's the living God that we serve. We serve a God of truth. We serve a God of love. And if he can't take it, then he's not God. But you and I know the one true living God can absolutely take it because he loves us so much that he sent his only son to not only die for us and suffer, but to raise and to lead us going forward. He's alive today. And he wants to work in and through us despite our struggles. And we can take them to him because he understands more than anybody else does. Moses came back from that very difficult and very negative board meeting with Pharaoh and then had a somewhat very hostile stakeholder meeting with the Israeli officers. It didn't go very well. Moses was frustrated, he was disappointed, he was let down, and he was about done. So he let God have it. And I appreciate that he did. For this is absolutely one of my favorite and great scriptures of pity party complaints that I've ever heard in scripture. God, it was your fault. You said you're going to do all this stuff and you didn't do it. And the reason that Moses had his pity party and he had all this accusation of God is because Moses forgot what God had already said. Moses got wrapped up in his emotions and the frustrations of those meetings and in the answers he received and he forgot what the Lord had already promised him. Do you hear it? There are times that you and I get frustrated with our situation, frustrated with God, frustrated with those around us. It might be that we forget what God has already told us and what he has already promised us and how he's already informed us that we're going to get through it. And we need to remember that. How do I know God said this? Because if you go back to Exodus 3, it says this. Exodus 3, 18b. You shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. So he's kind of pre-telling Moses exactly how it's all going to line out. And you shall say to him, the Lord 
God of the Hebrews has met with us. They said that in chapter 5. And now please let us go three days journey to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, which is exactly word for word what they said. So God already told them exactly what they were going to say and also this next part. This is God speaking. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. They had already been told, you're going to go ask the question, excuse me, you're going to go tell what I've said, and he ain't going to take it. Moses forgot. He got wrapped up in the emotions. And God continues in verse 20, back in Exodus 3. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst. And after that, he will let you go. So he's already saying it's going to happen, but it just doesn't happen in our timing. Right? We've all prayed and asked and sought and pleaded and fasted before God, praying for certain things to happen, praying for miracles to happen. And sometimes it absolutely does because he's the living God. And sometimes it doesn't happen at the time that we want it. That's not easy. But he's still God because he has the plan. The Lord had already pre-informed him, Moses, of this mission and that it would beat resistance. The, Moses was not told, well, it might not be accepted and it might not initially look good for you. The Lord told him straightly, it will be, I am sure that he will not let you go until I do something else. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first became a follower of Christ and I truly repented of my sins and I turned away from what I once knew and who I once was, beginning to learn how to think differently and how to feel differently, being transformed by the renewing of my mind and allowing the Lord to create in with me a clean heart, those powerful and transformative scriptures, it was not, it was not a bed of roses. It was a brutal time of actual strife and struggle. I don't know if some have had similar circumstances because there was family that was not accepting of such things. And there was families that, members that literally exiled me from the family because I was accepting the Lord and I was having a faith that was different than theirs. And it took years. Now, it took seven years actually for us to be back in contact and connection with them. God can heal a lot of things, but sometimes there's difficult things that happen when we do what is right for God. And the world doesn't accept that. And sometimes even it's our family doesn't accept that. And sometimes it does get darker before the dawn. And there are times that it seems that hell rises up with all of its hate before heaven reveals itself. But that does not mean that we do not hold on to the promise of what God has said and God will do. That is what faith is. I don't need faith if I can see something. It's right there. I need faith when I can't see it. I need the Lord to rise that up within me to give me more faith so that I can see how he sees it because it's already done. But I have to trust that. And then as we continue with the scripture, and this is my, my favorite part of all of this, and I thank God for giving me the chance to preach on this part right here because this is transforming. In Exodus 6, 6 through 8, and I want you, if you have a Bible, start underlining. You got a highlighter, go. You got to circle it. I mean, this, this is transforming. Exodus 6, 6 through 8. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with all, with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from your, under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage for I am the Lord. Worship team, if you would please join me. That is a promise and a binding 
word that the Lord gave Israel. But here's what's fascinating. I'm not gonna get too deep into the study of Hebrew here, but this is so important. I want you to hear this. It is so transforming. This encouraged me so much in God's faithfulness to us, but also encouraged my faithfulness to him. In every one of those statements where the Lord speaks, I will, those words in the Hebrew language are what is known as past perfect tense, not future tense. The past perfect tense for all of you English people is used to talk about something that is, has already happened. It is used to complete an activity in the past. It implies that not only is it completed and done, signed, sealed, and delivered, it is also still active and functioning now. That promise was done for the Israelites, and it still is in effect for them as we speak. They were taken out from the burdens of the Egyptians. They were rescued from their bondage. They were redeemed in the process of being redeemed at the same time. They are his people. He is their God. They know that he is the Lord, but they're still waiting to see the Messiah. And he will bring them into the land, and he has, and he did, and he's there with them now in the land that will never be taken away from them again. And he will give himself as a heritage to them. Here's the great part of this. These are our promises too. These statements of a binding pledge of the promise of the Lord are continually bestowed. And he will never renege on his promises. Did you know that? If God says it, it's done. If God has spoken, it is complete. God will do exactly what he says he will do. He is the Lord. He has and will bring you out from underneath your burdens. He will and is rescuing you from your bondage. And he has and will redeem you from with his outstretched arm. He has taken you as his. Did you hear that? You're his. You're his. And he is your God. He, he is your God. And he will be your one true God. And you will know that he and he alone is the Lord. He will bring you into his promised land, the land of heaven, one day. But until that time, we have the honor and opportunity to be examples and witness to share his love and his truth and to demonstrate his promise that his work is still at play in this world and he is using people like us to bring out his kingdom. We pray that when we say the Lord's Prayer. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to be that part of that prayer. Did you know that you're part of the Lord's Prayer? We get to be that functional, practical example bringing the Lord's work here to this earth.